This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Richard Isaacs, CEO and Executive Director of the Permanente Medical Group and President and CEO of the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. Dr. Isaacs, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Laura. It's great to be here. Well, before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure, I would love to. I grew up in the Midwest. I was born in Detroit, Michigan. I went to college at the University of Michigan and and medical school in Michigan as well, and migrated to the East Coast for my training in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, uh, where I spent five years on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, loved it. I was at Cornell, Manhattan Eye, Ear and Throat Hospital and Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, Cancer Center. And uh, then I pursued additional training. I spent two more years uh, studying head and neck oncologic and reconstructive surgery at the University of California at Davis uh, in Northern California in Sacramento and uh, pursued a career with the Permanente Medical Group where I just celebrated my 25th anniversary with the organization. And I have served as uh, an advanced specialist in head and neck oncology and skull-based surgery. I've also uh, served as a chief medical officer, physician chief of a major um, inner city uh, hospital, uh, Kaiser Permanente South Sacramento. And four years ago, the TPMG board of directors selected me to be the CEO and the executive director of the Permanente Medical Group and also the president and CEO of the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. So it's been an amazing journey. Uh, I just celebrated my fourth year as the CEO and uh, it's, it's been really exciting. Oh, fantastic. It sounds like you've built an amazing career for yourself. And I'm wondering, you know, is there anything that you feel like you have done differently in order to um, give yourself the best chance of success as you were growing and building your career? Well, you know, I tell all of our physician leaders, if you want to be successful in leadership, in leading doctors, you've got to be exceptional in your care delivery aspects. Uh, people look up to experts that provide, uh, that go above and beyond to provide exceptional care uh, for their patients, but also provide support uh, to their colleagues in the management of, uh, you know, all of our patients. So I think you've got to be exceptional. You have to be an expert in clinical care delivery, uh, which gives you credibility. And then that allows you the platform to lead. That makes sense. That's great advice, I think, for any physician leaders, um, especially those who are looking to rise to the top of their game. Now, considering your role right now as executive director, president, CEO of these medical groups, what are your top priorities today? Well, <clears throat> what's very exciting right now is, uh, you know, we set a platform four years ago when I first became CEO and executive director. We knew that healthcare in this nation uh, was challenged by accessibility, affordability, achievability of care. Uh, we spend about 19% of the GDP on healthcare. And I knew that we needed to transform care delivery in order to make care uh, achievable. Uh, our goal is to provide you know, simply the best care, high quality, convenient care that um, is recognized nationally and is differentiated on those measures. And I believe that COVID-19 has really accelerated the pace for change. Uh, We're seeing increasing competition in the market. We're seeing 
a change in the way that people are getting their insurance. There's been a, here in California and in the mid-Atlantic states, we're seeing people migrate from commercial, traditional commercial products that they achieve through their employer to the individual exchange and other lines of governmental business. All of those put increasing pressure on organizations uh, that deliver healthcare to uh, identify the best ways to create effective and efficient care. Uh, you know, there's a revenue contraction and uh, we're going to need to identify the best ways to deliver care. I think COVID also allowed us to learn how to integrate the technology in very rapid fashion. Uh, because in the early parts of the pandemic, when we were sheltering in place, our patients simply could not come in. So we had to go to a video care first strategy, and I'm incredibly proud of the way that our medical group responded, uh, leveraging technology, using video visits in order to reach patients in their homes, creating a safe environment for us to evaluate them and, and deliver the care that they need. Uh, Pre-pandemic, here in Northern California, we did about 100,000 uh, video visits. And in the first 10 months, of COVID-19, we did about 4.5 million video visits, which uh, really elevated our game. And uh, we learned a tremendous amount um, uh, regarding how to deliver uh, virtual care. Uh, the patients really appreciate it, and so do the physicians. Got it. Yeah, that's fascinating to think about how, you know, two years ago, the virtual care was barely even a thought by, by many providers, and now is something that is a staple and that will continue to grow and develop. How do you anticipate that your role and teams will evolve over the next 18 months or so? Thank you, Laura. Absolutely. So we're focusing in on harvesting as many learnings as we can from the early parts of the pandemic to identify where the virtual visits, either video, chat, uh, secure messaging, where they provide value um, and eliminate redundancy. So every one of the chairs of our departments here in Northern California, also in the mid-Atlantic states, are looking at that. We're looking at uh, problem reasons that patients present with and, and trying to identify where the video actually creates value and where it doesn't. Um, and we're going to be integrating artificial intelligence in the way that we navigate the system based on the patient's needs. And um, so we're building a digital front door into our system, which will allow the patient to interact with us as a system. And based on their needs, they will be able to uh, navigate by pushing buttons, clicking uh, in the app that ultimately brings them to the appropriate venue within our system. So if their problem reason codes requires a video visit, we'll be able to navigate through, they'll push a button and they'll have an on-demand video visit. Or if they need a face-to-face -face visit with their personal physician, they'll click a button and they'll have options to make that appointment to come in and see their physician. Or if they need any other aspect of our system, they'll be able to get that through the smart app as well. Got it. That's fascinating to see. And really, it, it seems like it's making it easy for the patients to get what they need, the right kind of care, and then to making it efficient. And, you know, it's kind of thinking about the costs as well, a part of that, um, the whole calculus around where telehealth and virtual visits will make the most sense. 
That's exactly right. And, you know, four years ago, I was telling uh, my board of directors that the industries around us have really engaged and um, escalated their application of technology. If you look at the Lyft and Uber movement, it's very convenient for people to pull out their smartphone, click a button and get what they need. And I would say that healthcare was like 20 years behind the industry. And as I said earlier, I think that COVID-19 has really elevated our game and it's created this speed to execution where now uh, we're bringing technology integration into uh, the same level as what you experience in other industries. Got it. Got it. That's really fascinating to hear. Now, what are you most excited about right now and what makes you nervous? Well, I think that uh, healthcare in this country has moved to um, a consumerism. It's really delivering care where and when the patient requires it. So I'm super excited about that because when you have that level of care without delay, I think it drives tremendous quality. So when we bring the right physician into the right place uh, for patient care, uh, only good things happen. I see that every day now in our emergency department. Uh, when the emergency medicine physician in their back pocket has a smartphone that's connected to our network, uh, if they need a cardiologist, they're able to push one button and they get the cardiologist who's on call who can help evaluate in real time um, any type of EKG uh, strip or, or um, you know, patient status and make recommendations in real time to help support care. And that's tremendous care without delay. We've also leveraged the technology to provide uh, immediate access to a neurologist in every one of our emergency departments. If someone's having a stroke, we can push one button and have a regional teleneurologist available via video who can evaluate a patient, have a consultation with the patient and their family, and drive tremendous care uh, for thrombolytic therapy, for example, for somebody who's having a, a stroke. Uh, so we, we are now achieving tremendous, really industry-leading results um, in care without delay uh, measured in door to thrombolytic time. So I'm super excited about the technology integration into healthcare. Absolutely. I, I think there's just so many possibilities and you laid out a really great example from the emergency room on how that really makes a difference for patients. And, you know, I think there's just so much potential, as you mentioned. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, can you share three important trends for emerging leaders in healthcare to follow? Um, yes, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, so I think that there's, there's going to, as I mentioned, Three important trends for leaders in healthcare to follow. I anticipate there's going to be an intensification of consumerism in healthcare. So taking the technology to provide, you know, access to our system will provide quality, not only for patients who have routine access to care, but those who, who have healthcare divide. Um, creating um, public and private partnerships to bring technology to the communities that don't traditionally have access to technology will drive this type of convenience that'll allow patients to get care earlier in disease and drive um, exceptional care. 
there will also be a major focus on specialty care centers uh, where we, when appropriate, uh, we'll have short-term acute care centers that shift to smaller specialized centers like hubs that provide virtualist care. There'll be a shift from hospital care to hospital at home. Uh, our organization is currently doing a fair amount of surgical home recovery. Now we're moving towards uh, um, the venue of the acute care. Can we take care of patients who have pneumonia, the appropriate patients, uh, using remote home monitoring techniques and virtualists to provide care? And then finally, I think uh, wearables and sensors will uh, provide immediate access to patient data. So as we're monitoring our patients who have chronic conditions like congestive heart disease, we can monitor them on a you know, virtually daily basis uh, for key indicators of their status and intervene before they have an exacerbation of uh, their chronic disease. Dr. Isaacs, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion and we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. It was a great time.